Welcome to Health or Consequences, the Massachusetts Healthcare and Public Health Policy Podcast broadcast uh, that comes out under Commonwealth Magazine's podcast label. I'm Paul Hattis from the Tufts University School of Medicine here with my co-host, John McDonough from the Harvard School of Public Health. And we're delighted today to have Amy Rosenthal, the Executive Director of Healthcare for All. And uh, just for all our podcast listeners to be completely aware, we're especially blessed by the fact that my co-host, John McDonough, was also the Executive Director of Healthcare for All from the period of 2003 through 2008. So we ex- expect a really interesting and good conversation with you today. Amy, welcome. Great. Thank you for having me. So for our podcast listeners, for the few that don't know what Healthcare for All is, tell us what the organization is and how long have you been its executive director? Sure. So Healthcare for All is a nonprofit consumer health advocacy organization. Um, we advocate for health justice in Massachusetts by working to promote health equity and ensure coverage and access for all. Um, we run a helpline. We take 20,000 calls a year. 50% of our calls come in in either Spanish or Portuguese. And we're able to really assist consumers enrolling in health insurance. And then we translate what we're hearing, what the problems are that people are calling the helpline about, and we run um, campaigns and work in coalition to try to make policy change. I've been there about two years as the executive director. Okay, and uh, tell our listeners a bit, how does Healthcare for All get its uh, revenues for operations? Sure. Um, Our largest source of funding comes from foundations. They provide us with either general operating grants or specific programmatic grants. Um, We also have individual donors who um, donate, and sometimes we even have some of our helpline callers who will send in you know, five or ten dollars after uh, you know getting a call. Um, getting a call from us, we don't require it, but it's certainly nice when people um, want to donate to the organization. We also hold a big event every year that raises about twenty percent of our of our funding, and um, so we get a little bit of funding for our helpline from the state and from a couple of for profits. Okay, welcome, Amy. Thank you, John. Nice to have you here. Let's dive into some of the issues. So we understand that high on Healthcare for All's legislative policy agenda this year is doing something about lowering or controlling prescription drug prices at the state level. Um, What do you propose to do? What would you like to see happen? And how confident are you that it would actually work? Yeah, so um, just to set the stage, we know that prescription drug prices are a leading factor um, for driving up health care costs for individuals, for families, for employers, and really for the state as well. Um, when we look at mass health spending on prescription drugs over the past five years, it's nearly doubled from $1.1 billion to $1.9 billion. And we also know that while spending for the state has been increasing at around 1.6%, prescription drug spending has been increasing at 4%. So the bottom line is we know that when consumers can't afford prescription drugs, they don't really work for them and they don't help them with their health care issues. So we have two things that we've been doing right now. The first is around the state budget. Um, The conferees are literally meeting um, as we speak. And we were really happy that the governor, the House, and the Senate all had prescription drug proposals in their budget. namely to look at giving MassHealth a greater ability and leverage to negotiate larger rebates for the drugs that they buy through MassHealth. There are some differences in the language, and we've been actively weighing in on that and are, are optimistic that we'll see some really strong language come out in the final budget. 
At the same time, we have to look at prescription drug prices beyond just mass health. So we've been working with Representatives Barber and Senator Lewis, who are the co-sponsors of um, a piece of legislation that we've been working on, as well as the chairs of the Healthcare Financing Committee, Senator Friedman and Representative Benson. So this legislation really has two pieces to it. Um, you have to think about transparency, and you have to also think about accountability. Um, there's really very little transparency around the actual cost it takes to produce a, a particular drug. It's kind of like a black box where people outside the industry just don't understand it. And when you talk to consumers, they really are confused about why they pay the prices that they do. So the legislation does a lot around transparency. It engages the Center for Health Information and Analysis, CHIA, as well as the Health Policy Commission to really dig in and better understand how pricing is done. It looks at pharmaceutical benefit managers and understanding the role that they play in driving up costs. Um, but at the end of the day, transparency isn't enough. So we also need incentives that will bring manufacturers to the table, really hold them accountable. And so the big um, piece of the legislation around this area is what we call an upper payment limit. So it would give the Health Policy Commission the ability to set an upper payment limit, so a maximum amount that any payer in the state could reimburse for a particular drug. Uh, we think it would apply to a very small number of drugs that are either seeing rapid increases, things like insulin or EpiPens, or drugs that have very high cost to them but don't necessarily have a high value. And so we think that this mechanism would be a really strong way to try to bring down the, the price of prescription drugs. So is accountability a metaphor for price control? No. Um, I think what this is is really incentives to bring the manufacturers to the table. When I, when I took this job two years ago, I spent a lot of time talking not only to consumer groups but also to industry. So I met with business leaders, I met with hospitals, I met with providers, um, with insurers. And there was definitely a sense that there is a culture of coverage and a sense of shared responsibility here in Massachusetts. People are really proud of the achievements that we've had, but it took some serious skin in the game for a lot of different groups. So individuals had to start paying, requiring um, to buy health insurance for the individual mandate. Uh, employers had an employer assessment. Hospitals and insurers have to go before the Health Policy Commission. All of these things uh, were not easy. They, people had to put some serious skin in the game. And all we're saying at this point is that it's time for pharma to do their part of this. And that means um, that this is one way in which we think they can do that. So one big problem around prescription drugs are the cost sharing imposed on consumers with deductibles, co-payments, co-insurance. But that's also a problem for the larger healthcare system where consumers are uh, being severely harmed in terms of deductible payments in the thousands, sometimes even the tens of thousands. So what can and should be done in Massachusetts to try to better protect consumers from outrageous cost-sharing requirements? Yeah, so obviously the prescription drug pieces are a really big part of that. Something else that we've been working on for a number of years is something called value-based insurance design. It's not the most exciting or sexy top um, uh, name for it, but essentially what it does, it, it looks at the out-of-pocket costs for medications, visits, procedures, and has an independent panel kind of look at the value of these and determine if it's a, um, a medicine or procedure where if they got rid of the cost sharing for consumers, it would increase their use and actually improve their health. Um, 
individual consumers don't really know how to distinguish between high value and low value care or services. So this is a way of helping to make sure that people are recognizing um, what, are, what are high value services and then not having to pay out of pocket for those. Um, I think the other area where it's really harming consumers is these surprise medical bills. So people will purposely go to an emergency room when they need care that they know is in their network, in their insurance network. They feel like they're going to be covered. And then perhaps, you know, the anesthesiologist on a, on a, um, um, a procedure that they need is actually out of network. And then they get this large and um, surprise bill that they didn't anticipate getting even though they tried to do everything right. And so there's a lot of discussion right now around how we um, hold consumers harmless from these out-of-network bills. And is there a pathway that you prefer in terms of who then ends up paying for it versus the insurers, physicians, hospitals, or someone else? Yeah, so we're in active conversations with all of those parties right now. I think the primary uh, message that we've been delivering is that the consumer needs to be held harmless and we need to make sure that there are enough providers based on how reimbursements are worked out to be able to provide services. And we're just trying to help facilitate some of those conversations between the stakeholders. Okay. Paul? Amy, let me follow up on another area that uh, policy experts and stakeholders talk about when they talk about why healthcare uh, is very expensive, both nationally but in our, in our state. It has to do with providers and transactions like mergers or acquisitions, which have had the history of tending to increase prices or even capital projects, which raise operating costs. Uh, some observers have observed that healthcare for all really has refrained from taking public policy positions on some of these major transactions over the last uh, four to five years at least. What's your uh, reflection back about that? Yeah, so, you know, I think healthcare for all really tries to understand the issues and the data before we weigh in on an issue, especially if we don't have the in-house expertise to go really deep into, into the material. Um, the Health Policy Commission is literally a body that takes on this kind of analysis, and we typically wait to see what their review is and then make a decision about um, how to weigh in. So I think, for example, with the most recent merger with Beth, Beth Israel Leahy, we waited until we saw what the Health Policy Commission um, said in their final analysis. And then what we did notice is that the hospitals that were um, part of the new uh, merge system were providing a lower percentage of care to mass health patients and what was in their service area. So at that point, healthcare for all weighed in. That's an area that's really within our expertise and something that you know we do on behalf of consumers. And so we made a number of recommendations. We sent them to Secretary Sutters, Commissioner Burrell, the, um, the Attorney General's office. And um, we were really pleased that in the final merger agreement um, that uh, the Attorney General approved a number of our suggestions were in there. So, so it was really the Medicaid focus rather than commercial provider pricing that you focused on in that particular transaction, as an example. Yes, it's, it seemed like it was really in our sweet spot. So on a topic related to mass health, so hardly anyone really understands or knows this, but for the past 15 months now or 16 months, there's been this massive program of accountable care organizations in mass health, something entirely new in that sphere, 850,000 mass health enrollees had to change their plans and go into one of 17 ACOs, and they were, for a few months, allowed to switch around. It's now been it's now been about 15, 16 months. How is it going? What are you hearing? What's happening to consumers and patients in mass health who are in one of these 17 ACOs? Is this 
working? Are there troubling signs? What's your take on it? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, Healthcare for All really looked at the ACOs as an opportunity to invest in mass health. Um, we were able to leverage $1.8 billion in federal funding. We look at it as an opportunity to try to improve outcomes, um, work on case management, support really complex patients. There's also $150 million dedicated to the social determinants of health. You know, we often think of healthcare in terms of insurance coverage and seeing a doctor. But if you don't have a home to live in or food to eat, it's really hard to be healthy. Um, it's a very big, complex program. Healthcare for All has chosen to focus on three areas. Uh, the first is on enrollment. We wanted to really make sure that through our helpline, we were helping um, navigate this difficult transaction or um, transition for so many people. Um, I think we were really expecting a massive onslaught of phone calls to our helpline, and we were staffed and ready to do it. We certainly received phone calls. There were certainly some individuals who ran into issues, but we were really able to work efficiently with both the ACOs and the state to try to address individual situations and also pull out key themes and things that we were worried about. And we feel like people have been actually in a pretty good rhythm since then. Uh, the second area that we've been focused on is social determinants of health. Um, with the generous support of the Boston Foundation, we're in, about to launch year two of a study that looks at how ACOs are working with community-based organizations who are look, working to address the social determinants of health and look at best practices so that we can be sharing those with other ACOs. And thirdly, an issue that's really important to healthcare for all is the issue of oral health. You have to think about not just you know, when you think about the whole body, you also have to think about the mouth. And um, we're really focused on oral health integration so that the ACOs are able to provide um, oral health services as well. And we were really pleased that uh, we had advocated that uh, one of the quality metrics be focused on oral health, and we were really pleased to see that's the case. Um, we don't have a lot of data yet overall. I think this is a work in progress, but, you know, we're feeling positive and we're just going to keep really focusing on these issues and make sure that consumers have the care that they need. Healthcare for all. You mentioned its values and its expectations for, for consumers. And so uh, given your statewide uh, healthcare consumer advocacy role, tell us, has Charlie Baker been a good governor or a disappointment when it comes to protecting those consumer interests in healthcare? Yeah, so um, healthcare for all has done um, work with the governor's office uh, over the past couple of years since I've been here for sure. Um, he, his, uh, the governor and his administration have taken a really strong uh, position on prescription drugs as it relates to mass health and we're continuing to work with them on that and we're hopeful that we'll continue to see other proposals from the governor's office around prescription drugs. Um, it's also worth noting that he was the first de uh, governor, Democrat or Republican, who came out against some of the changes that we're seeing from the Trump administration around immigration issues, particularly as it relates to um, whether uh, immigrants can use Medicaid. Um, we've seen support for Medicare savings plans. Uh, we're hoping to continue to work on issues like oral health and mental health. So there is a lot of work to be done, and we've been able to work in partnership with the administration no, I also think it's important that any time uh, we disagree with the administration, we are there and able to communicate some of our concerns. Um, two budgets ago, we saw a proposal to move people um, out of mass health, and we were very vocal and clear that that was something we were not supportive of. But we appreciate the opportunity to work collaboratively and then push back when we feel like we need to. Governor, we, we hear maybe coming out with his own health care bill this fall. 
Uh, any ad additional thoughts beyond what you've said about what you'd like to see in that piece of legislation that he proposes? Yeah, no, I think, um, again, the uh, thinking about prescription drugs as it relates to mass health is really important, but we, you know, the, the legislation that we've been supporting looks at the entire healthcare system and thinking about prescription drugs more widely, and we're anxious to see what um, what's in that proposal around prescription drug coverage. I think we also want to continue to think about things like um, children's mental health, oral health issues, um, thinking about how we are uh, an environment that still continues to welcome immigrants here in the Commonwealth. Um, so we're anxious to see it. So Massachusetts, since 2012, has been operating with the uh, State Health Policy Commission and has set a target for cost increases, for spending increases in the healthcare system that's been in effect now for about six or seven years. And for the most part, the state is coming in under the benchmark. And Massachusetts is now seen as a success among the 50 states in terms of how well they're doing in controlling the rate of growth in healthcare spending. So, should consumers be dancing in the street? Should they be? joyful and exuberant, or what should consumers be feeling about all of this stuff that is going on up at the higher reaches of policymaking in the state, do you think? Yeah, so um, I always think it's important to celebrate successes. If you think about the way health reform um, moves, you know, and John, you were very involved in this, obviously, you know, first there was a focus on access, and Massachusetts continues to be first in the country. We have a 97% of our population is covered with health insurance, 98% of our kids. This is absolutely something to be celebrating and rejoicing. Um, and Chapter 224 really did a lot, as you said, to implement the Health Policy Commission and start to bring down uh, costs. We think the, the work that is happening with the ACOs and moving to that model is a good step in the right direction. Um, but of course, there's more work to be done and um, to think about it in terms of cost for the state. Healthcare for All's job, though, is to also not only be thinking about the cost to the state, but thinking about the cost to consumers. And at the end of the day, that's what we're always going to come back to. Can we make prescription drugs more affordable for everybody? Can we make sure that people have oral health services when they need it? Um, are people getting the mental health coverage and services, the substance use disorder treatments that they need? Are we thinking about the remaining uninsured and the underinsured? And these are all things that we need to continue to think about and that Healthcare for All uh, will be there to be advocating for. Um, all three of us lost a dear friend and mentor this year, Robert Stusha, who led Healthcare for All and then our sister organization, Community Catalyst, for many years. Um, he always talked to us about the importance of celebrating successes, and when things don't go the way you want, he always would say, don't mourn, organize. And I think that that's a motto that we live by every day. Um, we're going to keep fighting the good fight. We're going to work with um, as many consumers, as many stakeholder groups, as many policymakers as are interested in working with us, and um, really try to continue to improve the healthcare system. So what's it like to be executive director of Healthcare for All? I mean, what's your day like? Do you, do you bounce into work? You can't wait to get to get going? What what? What's your daily work life like in that role as the, con the, the consumer advocate in chief for the Commonwealth? So it's, um, it's really thrilling. I'm enjoying it even more than I thought that I would. Uh, I spent the past decade before coming to Healthcare for All working for Community Catalyst, our sister organization, which is a national healthcare group. 
Uh, my role was to fly to DC basically every week for about eight or nine years to work on the development passage implementation and then the defense of the Affordable Care Act. And I used to love going down there and, and being with all of the policymakers and really engaged in the work. Um, the benefit of health care for all is I don't have to get on a plane to do that work now. I get to focus on uh, working here in the Commonwealth. Uh, we are so fortunate that even when we don't all agree, this concept of supporting consumers and having a shared sense of um, coverage and people working together really is not typical in, in many states across the country. And um, I feel very fortunate to not only work with all of the consumer groups that I have had the chance to work with over the past two years, but also working with all sorts of different industry partners, many policymakers. Um, I want people to know that Healthcare for All is interested in, in working with them. And if there's consumers out there listening, I encourage them to go to our website and figure out ways to get involved with our organization. Amy Rosenthal. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate uh, your sharing your, your, your perspectives, as, as John said, as the Consumer Advocate-in-Chief for the state. Thank, Thank you. you so much. I appreciate being here.